Many of the interventions that have been tried in the past have failed because the person who is homeless comes to be trained or supported in their challenge and then they go home to their tent or they go home to the park bench that they sleep on. So the idea of Housing First is that first you put people in a home where they can be safe and clean and dry and then you have what's called wraparound services. This is permanent supportive housing. They have a home and then you support solving the other challenges that they face. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and this week we continue our series of shows leading up to the 2018 New Partners for Smart Growth Conference that will be held in San Francisco from February 1st through February 3rd. It is the nation's leading conference on smart growth and building sustainable and equitable communities. You can learn more and register at newpartners.org. Today, we continue last week's conversation about the connections between homelessness and water resource protection. Guest host Danielle Dolan, the Water Programs Director at the Local Government Commission, continues her interview with Mike Antos, Senior Watershed Manager at Santa Ana Watershed Project Authority. Mike, tell us more about those service providers and the partnerships you're seeing in the community. So Southern California is currently experiencing a crisis of homelessness. Um, Several of the cities in the region, including the city of Los Angeles, have declared such. Um, Through our work, we have been exposed to a a huge collection of public and private, uh, faith-based, nonprofit sector folks who are all trying one way or another to confront the, the challenges that we're facing. So city of Riverside, which is in our watershed, recently created a new Office of Homelessness Solutions to help the city government turn its attention to this in a collaborative way. And through their outreach, they actually met us and we're becoming involved. And also, they found that other cities and other areas around them that are unincorporated are also interested in participating. So, they've become actually a regional center of activity. So, up and down the watershed, there's a significant amount of work underway to try to confront the challenges that we're facing. And what we're really finding from the water sector's perspective is that we don't necessarily need to lead any efforts, but what we really could do is join all these efforts in a way that supports the activities that they have underway. Because we have both authority and responsibility to handle some of the things related to homelessness, uh, not all of the things related to homelessness. And I think through these partnerships that we're seeing, the water sector really is going to be able to support in important ways. Let's go back to some of those connections between homelessness and water. We talked about homeless encampments being a source of pollution to waterways. But what are some of the other connections that you're seeing between homelessness and water? I appreciate that. That idea that encampments are a source of pollution is sort of the classic understanding. And and most people in the water sector really haven't had an opportunity to think past that. 
Um, and we've developed, a, we've had two symposiums now in our region where we've brought the water community together. And there's been a lot of interest and engagement in these other issues. In the context of flood protection, which is one of the more important water management activities in our region, the, the Mediterranean climate that Southern California has, plus our topography with the mountains, we can have very flashy and flood-prone systems. And because, as we've described, many people experiencing homelessness, uh, for one reason or another, end up living inside the stream channels or along the riparian corridors of our region, they themselves are at risk of floods. And we have both natural occurring floods, but we also often have high flows in these channels through water supply management, because sometimes the channels are used to move water supplies from place to place. So people who are living in these channels can be at risk for floods. Also, they're, even if their lives are safe, if they, are, if they themselves, their bodies are safe, their property can often be lost to the floods, which is devastating for them. But that property also can cause flood problems downstream if it clogs waterways. So there's a lot of flood protection challenges to talk about. Um, <clears throat> in the question of sanitation and, and health, uh, water quality, the the pollution that we talked about coming from the encampments, the people who live in those encampments themselves are at risk to that same that's uh, those same pollutants. Very rarely do these encampments have adequate bathroom facilities and water to allow uh, hygiene, and there can be grave health consequences for people who don't have access to sanitation and water for drinking in. 2013, a California law was signed that creates a human right to water in California. The language of the legislation said that all humans have, have a right to safe, um, a quote here, safe, clean, affordable, and accessible water adequate for human consumption, cooking, and sanitary purposes. Now, because 2013 is not that long ago, the what that law means and how it becomes part of our policies and our activities is still being worked on. But you can imagine that people who are experiencing homelessness, if it is their right for these things, as Californians agree, um, providing those things can be very challenging. And then, of course, um, another impact that encampments can have is on the riparian habitat. There's been, as I described, much work on maintaining the habitat quality of both the riparian corridors and the waterways themselves, and the encampments can have impact on those things as well. The intersection between water and watershed management and homelessness, are there's multiple ways that our activities intersect with the challenges of homelessness. Uh, so it, it's only becoming clearer and clearer that as watershed managers and those who facilitate you know, watershed efforts, which are collaborative by nature, Interacting with and engaging with the collaboratives that are seeking to alleviate homelessness is is uh, it, it's going to be a best practice, I imagine, that we arrive at not too long in the future. So, if we wanted to categorize the impacts to the watershed or the impacts to homeless individuals with relation to water, there's kind of two separate groups. There's the impact to the watershed and our water resources from these homeless encampments, but then on the much more human rights and equity perspective, there's the impacts to the actual individuals that are experiencing homelessness from living by these waterways and not having access to these water resources. Is that 
an accurate depiction? I think that is a good way of thinking about it in those two categories. Much of our work in watershed management over the last 15 or 20 years in California has been seeking to understand how all the various ways that we think about water are actually linked. Our legacy is one from the 20th century where we really separated the different categories of water from each other, where we think about water supply as disconnected from flood protection and so on. So the idea of categorizing the relationship between homelessness and water as both being impacted and impactful is valuable. My instinct, however, is to always stay in the more complex narrative of these challenges because they are all interrelated. And the interrelationships are the spaces where so much of our progress needs to come as we move forward. We can no longer isolate challenges and fix them in isolation because often when we do that, our fixes may work on that isolated challenge, but can exacerbate other challenges. And, and that idea is reflected in what I described earlier in how we normally handle encampments, which is we just move them so they don't pollute the water. The idea of always staying in that conversation of complexity, though at times more challenging and slower, I think it's really valuable that some of our conversations always stay in the complexity. But as you and I have both experienced, it can often be especially challenging for public agencies, not least of which water agencies, to bear in mind those interconnections. Earlier, you mentioned that the water sector doesn't necessarily need to be the lead on addressing homelessness, but can potentially support some of these efforts because of the responsibilities and authority with regard to water management. What do you see as the role of water agencies in addressing? both the impacts to the watershed from homeless encampments, as well as the, the needs of the homeless individuals themselves. I can relate to you some examples of what's happening in the state, because I think that's a valuable way to talk about it. There are very few of the things that I've relayed, these intersections, aren't being worked on somewhere by a water-related agency. The idea of thinking about them in total and trying to approach them comprehensively is the newest idea, but it is happening elsewhere that, that folks are working on it. And in my region, this is still a space that people are growing their comfortability with. Though I once sat in an advocacy role, I no longer hold that position. So there's a limit to how much I would suggest we should be doing. I think it's becoming clear that some of these things need to be tackled. Um, just some examples. Uh, in the city of San Jose, there was a very large encampment that was seen as being uh, a cause of pollution. And the local water district who had a water supply role ended up realizing that their mission was impacted by that encampment and that efforts to simply clear the encampment had failed over and over again. So they ended up uh, putting some resources into a program that provided job training for people who are homeless and provided trash removal at the encampment. So they ended up through their own authority, you know, expending resources to support a more comprehensive approach to handling the challenges that the people of that encampment were facing, as opposed to just moving it. And the, you know, they first tried to just move it and it didn't work. So they came to it through um, a painful lesson of learning. 
But in the end, and we hold them up now as an example, because in the end, that district really stepped into the role of supporting a more social services oriented approach to supporting the people who are experiencing homelessness, knowing that once successful, that approach will achieve the water district's mission, which is helping the stream be clean and that water be usable. So those kinds of examples are around. The city of Los Angeles has multiple programs where they're supporting job training and professionalization skills for people who are experiencing homelessness through activities related to cleaning streets um, and supporting trash pickup in the sanitation department. Uh, There are other organizations in the state that have uh, adapted old buses and old movie set vehicles to be mobile showers cleaning facilities that they then travel around and support people who are experiencing homelessness, an opportunity to wash their clothes and their bodies. So there's lots of examples in the state of people who have stepped into these roles. And I think the water agencies, um, through the process, this learning process that we're on, are starting to see that their missions actually are benefited by supporting these broader efforts. The the trash pickup and the mobile showers are both really cool examples of quick fixes that achieve multiple benefits of both reaching the goals of the water agency to ensure clean watersheds and also meet the needs of the folks that are actually living on the, the river because they lack a home to go to. And I believe the trash pickup example was first started at the Russian River. Is that correct? That's right. It's a great story. There's a gentleman who lives in the region who volunteered with the Russian Riverkeeper to do a beach cleanup. And while he was there helping, he started asking about where all the trash came from. And the Riverkeeper staff said, well, a lot of it comes out of this these the homelessness encampments upstream on the Russian River. So he took it upon himself to start visiting those encampments and delivering empty trash bags. And he built relationships with the community there so that they could take their trash bags full of trash out to the curb. And he would come in on a Tuesday morning in his pickup and then go take it to the dump on his own. Um, So he really just did this as a volunteer effort. It eventually grew. His name is Chris Brocate. And he was a visitor to our first symposium, our keynote, and shared the program with us and our local Inland Empire waterkeeper here in the watershed is a, is about to institute a similar program where the people who live in the encampments themselves are given an opportunity to keep their cl- camp cleaner and more sanitary, and they'll have support getting the trash removed, just like anybody else in our communities. So it's an interesting model. It's a quick fix. It certainly isn't something that we want to have happen over the long term. Because in, in the end, we want the encampment to not be there because everyone has a home. But in the short term, it benefits the health of the encampment residents and it benefits the health of the water and the river in ways that are really positive. It's a relatively um, complicated institutional uh, partnership, right? So it's a nonprofit in partnership with a flood control district and a private waste hauler and a city government. But Once instituted, it's a relatively simple and low-cost program that can provide lots of benefits. And like you said, it's it's a quick fix. I had the pleasure of being able to attend the Homelessness Symposium earlier this month, and a lot of our most productive conversations at the event were around the concept of housing first. 
if our goal is to eventually get all of these individuals into permanent housing, what do you see as the long-term goal for water agencies to participate in that effort? Well, this gets into some politically fraught territory. Um, There's an effort in California based on the human right to water policy to consider how low-income community members, and that of course would include those who are homeless, can have subsidized water service and sanitation service. And that debate is ongoing at a very broad level across the state, how that subsidy would be collected and distributed and and managed. Um, So I, I think over the longest term, I would imagine, you know, the housing first principles are, and I've learned this through my exposure to those who are working much harder on it than I in the social services sector, that, that it's been shown that that the challenges people face who are homeless are often, there's often many challenges that are faced by those who are homeless. And it includes substance abuse or mental health challenges, um, all, all number of things. And many of the interventions that have been tried in the past have failed because the person who is homeless comes to be trained or supported in their challenge, and then they go home to their tent or they go home to the park bench that they sleep on. So the idea of housing first is that first you put people in a home where they can be safe and clean and dry, and then you have what's called wraparound services. This is permanent supportive housing. They have a home, and then you support solving the other challenges that they face. That house, the place where that home where they are, that's expensive, so, and it's paid for by public resources, either from the federal government or from a local government. And I asked when I first started this this learning adventure I've been on, you know, who pays for the water, who pays for the sewer service at that house where a person who's being supported lives? And the answer was, well, the vouchers that we get just pay the bill. And it occurred to me that there's really an opportunity here for water agencies to work their way through all the challenges and questions of this, but there's an opportunity for them to support that permanent supportive housing. If the water service, if the sanitation service to that home where someone is being supported could be, could cost less, could cost nothing, right? Is there a way to do that so that our agencies are supporting all the other agencies that are working to help these community members? Um, so there's lots of opportunities over the long term. You know, the, the many say that over the long term, we want there to be no one who is homeless. And that, of course, is a great goal. And I think, you know, as members of a community, water agencies want to be part of that effort. And it's just now us all figuring out what's the right way to do it. What authorities do we have that allows us to participate in what ways? And how can we work together to economize and then also provide effective solutions? That's definitely the the path we've been following this last two years. I know in other states and other nations, they've been much more successful in addressing the homelessness crisis. In Amsterdam, they have plenty of that supported housing that you spoke of. And so that it is actually illegal to be homeless in the city of Amsterdam, but they actually have a place where people that are experiencing homelessness can be brought to and be provided those services. Here in California, in addition to the homelessness crisis, we're actually, we're also facing a housing crisis. Most of the communities across the state have a deficit of actual housing, especially affordable housing. 
So how do we actually provide housing for our neighbors without homes? Yeah, that's a question well beyond my expertise, I'm afraid. I I know um, our partner city of Riverside is very close to creating an affordable housing tiny home village that they're hoping will be supportive of some of their neighbors without homes. So there's innovations all across the region where I'm watching. I think the opportunity to provide homes for everyone who needs them, I think in principle, it it sounds like a, a good aspirational goal. I know there's a remarkable amount of complexity in actually achieving that. One of the biggest challenges I see in achieving that goal is the lack of communication and integration between our land use planning agencies and our water management agencies, as well as those other wraparound service providers you mentioned. Do you have any ideas on how we can better facilitate collaboration and partnership between these different sectors? Yeah, I, I think I think I do, right? What we've been doing, and you've been at one of them, Danielle, right? It was these symposiums have been extraordinarily productive. Not everyone is always able to understand the incremental nature of conversation. And we have a a history in, at least in California, I can say, of our public administrative agencies, like working in isolation. That's kind of how they were designed. They were designed to be technically expert at something, and then to quietly put their head down and do it really well. And many of them all do that. They put their heads down and they do their job very, very well. What we are now coming to understand is that those jobs are interrelated in ways that we didn't know when we built all these agencies. So these these are all discussions that have to take place. This is an, a transition that we have to undertake where we recognize the interrelationships between the different managers and having conversations that bring the water quality regulator and the flood control district and the housing the housing service provider and the public health agency all into one room and say, how do you think about homelessness? And have the people, the actual human beings that work in those agencies say out loud the way that they think about homelessness and hear how their peers in other agencies that they don't normally interact with say what they do about homelessness. That is an extraordinarily powerful intervention in this long game that we're playing. So I think the kinds of facilitations that LGC does where you work and the kinds of work that SAPA where I work does, which is facilitating these collaborative dialogues, seeking collaborative partnerships to produce more multi-benefit solutions to our challenges. That's really the path that is going to solve so many of these wicked problems, as they're called, in our society. And homelessness happens to be the one we're talking about today, but there are many others climate change, for instance, population growth, there's all sorts of things that have an impact on the society where we live that are extraordinarily complicated. And it's only when we get the people in the room who each are experts at one slice of that big complicated puzzle um, that we can actually move forward. And that takes a long time. It takes specialty experts at facilitation and it, generalists and people who are, are good at stitching all these puzzles together. Um, but I, I think we have the signs before us that, especially in California, uh, we're moving that direction. We have these integrated programs. We have support for uh, involving members of communities who are not normally involved in the work that we've been doing over the last you know 100 years. 
So I think we're heading the right direction of these broader conversations because I think that's the path that's going to get us to more effective solutions. We're making progress. We're starting to have the conversations and make the connections. But the next much more difficult step is the actual integration of the planning and management phases. Well, we're, we're, more, we're more that now than we were 15 years ago. It's, it's easy to be in the moment and, and still look around and see only challenges. But the, the legacy we have of the last 20 years or so, especially in watershed management in California, has been one of enhanced integration, multi-benefit solutions, uh, partnerships. The, the big water agencies you know, that 20 years ago imagined themselves to have a single purpose role, they rarely imagine that anymore. Right, that they all on their own are working together with their partner agencies, their neighboring agencies. These things are happening in ways that they did not used to happen. So I, I think we're on the right path. And yeah, there's still a lot, a long ways to go. And we still do have lots of challenges to overcome. But I, I think we're heading in the right direction. The PPIC, Public Policy Institute of California, has a really cool infographic that maps out the timeline of water management eras and the last era that we just came out of going into the turn of the millennium was the era of conflict. And they've dubbed this next era, the era of collaboration. So thank you for reminding me, Mike, to be optimistic that we can actually achieve that collaboration. Leading with passion and optimism gets you a lot further than panic and, and worry. A lot of people, I think, respond when you say, like, we're all in this together, and together we are strong enough to overcome our challenges, I think that gets you a long way down the path towards actually accomplishing things. I could sit here and talk wicked water problems with you all day long. Yeah, me too. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Before we wrap up, can you share where people can find out more about the issue of homelessness and water, as well as the work you're doing at SAPA? Sure. SAPA is on the web at sapa.org. And we're on Twitter at SAPA, S-A-W-P-A underscore OWOW, which stands for One Water, One Watershed. So I hope that you all can find us there and learn more. The issues of homelessness are um, happening all across California in the Disadvantaged Community Involvement Program, which is being instituted all across the state. So if you're a California resident or a California partner, you should look for your local group that's doing it. And I'm always available if you want to try to find me on Twitter at Mike Antos. And when will that white paper be available? My <laughs> um, hope is that in the new year, we'll have it ready to go. Excellent. Well, Mike, thank you again so much for joining us. I always enjoy talking with you, especially about complex water issues affecting our communities. Your perspective, insight, your perspective and insight is something I greatly value. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate as well. So thanks again for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.